Good evening, everyone. This is George N2APB and Joe N2CX with this month's episode of Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive monthly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. We are really uh, excited tonight to be kicking off a new episode theme, and uh, we're going to be exploring what it means to be doing, uh, participating in an Elmer 101 activity, and then we're going to be focusing on a an oldie but goodie kit, the Small Wonder Labs SW30 Plus transceiver. So uh, that's for the next 60 minutes or so, we have control of the horizontal, we have control of the vertical. And we have control of the RF, so to speak. And uh, we are really opening this up for a lot of interactive type of uh, discussion along the way. This is an exciting time, and I think we're going to have a good time uh, doing it. We are in episode 72. Amazing. Now, over, I think, three years now, Joe, we've been doing this. A more regular schedule at first, then we drop back to a more realistic, from a preparation and uh, ever-presence uh, perspective of, uh, of putting on these Chat with the Designer episodes. We're up to 72, so which is kind of a convenient, nice number for us QRPers. And uh, uh, we're, as I said, we're very excited to be doing uh, doing that. Um, a little bit of history, perhaps. Uh, uh, we're going to get it. The way the program is structured and the way that we're going to uh, approach things here tonight it's um, structured in two halves. The first half is going to talk about Elmer 101. What is Elmer 101? What's a little bit of the history for that? And uh, um, it kind of puts it in perspective of what we're trying to do here, because we're not doing the pure 101. If you're a if you are an aficionado of the uh, QRPL lists and uh, communications, various communications we have in the community, um, you would be you would know what the, the Elmer 101 is, and and uh, we're going to have a slight adaptation of that, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Um, but that's the first half. We'll talk about the Elmer 101 uh, activities. And the second half of the program is going to focus on the SW30 Plus transceiver. Um, a wonderful, wonderful classic little rig from uh, K1SWL, Dave Benson. Um, back uh, a number of, back over a decade ago is when it was really out, I believe. Uh, introduced earlier, like in 1998, and then it kind of went through 2003, 2005 before uh, Dave discontinued it, or at least dribbled it down to a bare, a bare um, minimum avail availability. Um, but many of us had this kit back then, and if you happen to have missed it, if you came along to the QRP or the home brewing scene before uh, or since then, you probably missed out, and you might have seen it advertised, uh, might have seen it on eBay, might have uh, borrowed it from your friend or whatever. Very, very nice little classic super heterodyne rig, and it's a mono band, and we've selected to build it and talk about it um, uh, from the perspective of it being a 30 meter rig, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about what the rig is and overview it during the second uh, half of the program. Uh, we'll also along the way talk about anticipated availability of the kit and how you folks here, you uh, CWTDers, as we say with uh, when typing, it's harder to say it when you're talking. But the chat with the designer audience, both those that are live here and those that are podcasters, are going to have um, a priority at uh, getting their hands on this limited run kit. Uh, Dave Benson, um, again, the designer of the SW30 and um, uh, owner, proprietor, and uh, of the, the the former, I think it's now gone silent, uh, the Small Wonder Labs website and, and design, various designs. Dave Benson has given us uh, here on Chat with the Designers um, permission to have a limited run of the um, of the kit of his kit. So we are doing what we can to make it available at uh, a pretty low low price, all things considered, and um, for the purposes of you kind of understanding and and following along and building up and ending up with a a really nice little CW rig, um, super heterodyne, which is unusual in one uh, in one perspective. Joe and I will talk about that when we overview the design. And uh, um, it's a mono band, um, which makes it just even smaller and nice for ticking to the field. 
So that's uh, that's the plan for today. And uh, as I said, probably by nine nine fifteen, we plan to be wrapped up. So if you are new to chat with the designers, our program normally runs about an hour. Uh, Joe and I have an interactive type of uh, um, dialogue, and we invite other people to join in, much as KB1QVO is. Alrighty then. Um, Joe, any other ground uh, baselining before I dive into the Elmer 101 and, and start driving the first half of the program? No, I think uh, I think you pretty much covered it. Uh, you you hit briefly on um, the uh, podcast, and for those not familiar uh, with the chat with the designers, um, about a week or so after the, uh, depending on uh, George's availability, about a week or so after the uh, show, he uh, makes a podcast available, which has all the audio uh, from the show. For those who uh, can't make it on time, um, have prior commitments, whatever, um, that is available. And also the uh, all the information from the whiteboard from this show and all the others is available online so that uh, you can refer to back to it whenever. Uh, I find it a handy reference to uh, look back when I'm looking for a particular topic and want to find some uh, hints on how to do things or or some uh, URLs to find uh, info on the web. Handy uh, handy reference. Another service of Chat with the Designers. Indeed. It's a great, uh, great resource. Let's get into it right away because we do, we're time limited. We want to make best use of all our time here. Um, the uh, Elmer 101, what, what is it where, from whence it came? Or I don't know how you say that, uh, but uh, ultimately, where did it come from? Well, I went, uh, I, I did a little search. I know what it is. Many of us know what it is. But from a, from a description standpoint, I couldn't find too much until I found the really good website of our good friend, uh, Jim Larson, AL7FS, up in Alaska. And um, what I did, he has a nice little intro um, on his webpage because he was one of the many people, uh, many, maybe six. I think there are six separate resources, at least, um, of people that kind of captured the Elmer, Elmer 101, um, I call it the fever, of documenting some of the uh, uh, early early on descriptions of electronic circuits and such that happened online on QRPL is where it started. And Jim did an excellent job of kind of putting it together a little bit of history. So with his permission, I took the um, I took his description and put it here, and you can read it um, as we're chatting or later on if you if you will. But it gives a good history of kind of where it came from. But in a nutshell, back in again pre 2000, somewhere around 97 98. Um, there was some talk on the QRPL, which then was probably the main, almost, uh, uh, um, almost the main watering hole for us in the QRP and homebrewing and experimenting world. And um, that list serve um, had many of us designers and, and those who want to be designers and um, those who like to listen to uh, the logic and the background and have technical discussions about projects and and they said that hey let's let's get together a program um, a course if you will that would essentially uh, serve many of us from a standpoint of providing the background and kind of knit together the basic information that we all had to understand in the and when we started doing our ham when we started getting our ham licenses as far as oh uh, Kirchhoff's law and Ohm's law and basics of oscillation and just real simple electrical and electronic theory from resistors and capacitors up to transistors to even ICs, and especially for dedicated circuits that we often use in our designs, like the SA612 mixer or some um, three-terminal voltage regulators and things of that nature. And uh, then at that time, they were saying, hey, well, you know, to give us a, a theme or a common watering, a common um, uh, discussion thread. Let's pick a project that we can talk about, break it down, talk about the basics of its operation, and really have a good discussion relative to theory, relative to practical uh, circuits that we all deal with uh, on our bench. And uh, long story short, they selected uh, uh, the Dave Benson project, the SW30, or at that time it was the SW40, the 40 meter version. Now, as it turns out, Dave had done a long time ago, and this is really classic stuff. If you've not been around very long, or if you don't recall, yesterday or, or 10 years ago. Um, ultimately, Dave, um, oh gosh, in the handbook, I guess, there was a classic design called the 4040, uh, 40 meter. Joe, remember what 4040 stood for? It was a uh, 40 meter rig for $40, I believe. There you go. So it was a, it was a 
It was a nice little design that many of us attempted to build up back then, and and uh, Dave ultimately had turned that into a, a updated the circuit and called it the uh, the SW40. And uh, uh, for this Elmer project, we he further updated it and just did some improvements. And this is all chronicled a little bit farther down on our homepage, our whiteboard, as we say. Hopefully, you're following along on that. Um, and he called that the 40 plus, which meant it just had a couple of extra features that made it really nice and current and that much easier to use. A very basic radio, something that's easy to add on to that we're going to find later on in the series. And uh, uh, it became very, very popular with the crew, this group back in, uh, in the QRPL. And it became the focus of the Elmer 101 instructions. And, uh, oh, golly, Joe, I, I, don't, I don't know who was the first one. Maybe it was Glenn... Uh, Lean Weber or Mike Mayori, um, I forgot the call signs. PE3DNL was Glenn's, but uh, I forgot Mike's call sign. But these guys, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, were the first ones to start pulling it all together. Uh, the very first rendition was they started pulling in many, many postings, talking about the, the starting at the very basics of, of you know, uh, the resistors and capacitors that are used in the SW40 design and uh, what constitutes an oscillator, how does an oscillator work, what's the principles behind its oscillating uh, uh what are the basics of its of its operation and and so on and they strung together all of these different postings and they grouped it into either a web page um maybe even a book and uh those were the two that first started it joe wasn't it yeah i believe so um my memory doesn't uh isn't real sharp from back then but um yeah i think you're right yeah and then um God, I, I don't there's i'm probably jumping ahead further but nonetheless there was a wonderful book that uh, a compilation um that uh, uh, NorCal, in the NorCal publication QRPP, it's uh, roughly a quarterly magazine, um, the smaller format some of you might remember, uh, they dedicated an entire issue to the Elmer 101 series. So what they did was they took all of those postings, they probably embellished a lot of them, turned them into articles, turned them into sequential sets of articles, augmented them with pictures, and uh, had an entire um, booklet put together. And, and a little bit farther down on this page, in this first half when, I'm, when we're still talking about the Elmer 101, you'll see some of these resources that, that I'm referring to. Uh, many of these are still available today, and um, I would and I provided links where, you know, where we know, and I'm going to ask for other links in a moment. Um, but if you do a search on Elmer 101 um, instruction or Elmer 101 SW40, you'll get a lot of hits. Um, that NorCal magazine is a great one. Another very, very good one, again, is on the, uh, um, is on the uh, Jim Larson's page that I referenced uh, a minute ago. Another one yet, I'm, I'm, I'm dialing down as well. Another one is, okay, so I do have Mike Maori's uh, Elmer 101 page, KU4QO, and uh, that and all the links are provided there in those particular um, chapters or parts, part 1 through uh, 13. And that those, I think, are just the text versions. Uh, the QRPP version of that book and is, uh, at least the cover shot is there, and the table of contents is there. And below that is a version called the X Files. David Eck, uh, N0K. What's what's Dave's call sign? Yeah, it's N0EK. I think maybe that was it. And and anyways, Dave had a great. And in my opinion, that's his lessons one through eight were probably the most useful from a presentation standpoint because they are PPTs. Um, PowerPoint slide presentations, wonderful graphics, wonderful uh, summaries of the electronics and the and the discussion, you know, of, of how much current is going through that resistor and what's the what's the uh, the voltage uh, division and uh, between two circuits and and so on. And it's very very nice. So I would uh, we would urge you to to do, to open that up. Lastly, is from a reference standpoint, we have, uh, I found Chuck Adams, uh, K7QO, uh, work of art, as he normally does in his instructions uh, for whatever he does. Uh, he had written an article, oh gosh, it had to be like a 27-page article um, called Building the SW, uh, he called it the SWL30+, uh, but uh, nonetheless, um, his article mostly, I think, is his text, and he links over to pictures that he often takes on off his bench as he's going through it. 
Unfortunately, I cannot find um, it on his website anymore. This here is just a, an image. I don't want to reproduce that, uh, but I provided the link to somebody who does have it on their website. And you too can grab that, and I would urge you doing that uh, right off the bat. Oh, son of a gun, Ron, W2CTX shows us that it is available. So here, folks, is a great reference to uh, using the text chat window down at the bottom of our client. So if you see that, I'll get that information posted. Uh, Ron, thank you so much. And uh, you can grab some of these resources. Um, to wrap up this first part, which was meant to be purposefully kind of kind of shorter, um, was uh, is an indication that... Uh, I guess I guess the, what we're probably going to do is um, remember how I said that what we're going to do is is go through some of the Elm, uh, the Elmer 101 material in its original intended use, um, but we're not going to really go into leveraging a lot of that. We're not going to necessarily be covering in the chat with the designers uh, series here. We're not going to be covering the the basics of uh, of Ohm's law, and uh, we're not going to be going into detailed uh, derivation of of uh, uh, oscillating parameters and uh, as you might have to do it as a designer. A lot of that is going to be left to your homework, as Chuck often says, uh, exercise for the students. Chuck was a longtime professor and uh, rocket scientist at, uh, at a big-name company, and um, he often left things for the students to do, and, and that's what we're going to do here. We've shown three or four different references for the Elmer 101 basics. What Joe and I are going to do here is uh, have it be this. The, our series is going to be a hands-on analyze this quote um, it sounds unusual but let me string it together um, it's the hands-on analyze this it's a hands-on elmering or a hands-on elmer 101 what we've often done in the past episodes of chat with the designers is to analyze different circuits break them down talk about their operation to a pretty good detail uh, but very specifically within the functional operation of that given project or circuit so we're not going to generalize about something we're going to be very specifically talking about the SW30. And um, from a hands-on perspective, of course, as I indicated uh, up front, we are providing um, at near cost the uh, SW30 kit, um, like within the next several weeks that will be available. And we'll talk about that later and how you can get it and the order page and all of that. But we're, for Chat with the Designer um, participants, um, the kit is going to be made available. And with the goal, the ideal goal, the hopeful goal for you to be building up stage by stage as we, in a hands-on manner, go through and analyze this circuit. And as I said, by the time we get done analyzing it after, oh gosh, I don't know, Joe, how many, maybe four or five episodes Hopefully, we'll get to a built-up uh, circuit. Some of you will get there sooner, like within hours of getting the kit. Others will be dragging along, and that's entirely okay. It's a learning exercise. But that's the goal for this program's use of the Elmer 101 and the SW30. Um, Joe, before we open it up for questions at this point, can you talk about SW30, SW40, what does it mean? Maybe just a little bit of history on the on that project and, you know, enclosure or not, uh, um, optional components, uh, how much, how many, uh, what kind of legs does this project have uh, for add-ons afterwards and things like that? Certainly, George, yeah. Well, as George mentioned, these were designed by uh, Dave Benson, um, who had uh, his own small business, Small Wonder Labs, and um, he called them SW, which is punny for small wonders and also short wave. Um, he made a series of them. The first was a 40 meter, but uh, he made other versions, offered other versions of the kit, which were um, 80, um, in addition to 40, 30, and 20 meters, uh, kind of the sweet spot of HF where it's easy to design things and uh, fairly simple. Um, his original goal was uh, just a single board radio, but um, as soon as he ran a business, he wanted to make it uh, attractive to people. He also offered an enclosure um, uh, that the board would fit into that uh, was matched exactly to it. Um, and as personalization to make it easier to build, if you look at the pictures um, of the uh, of the shortwave, the SW radio that are in the uh, in the middle of our whiteboard, you can see there are plugs that um, are wired to the controls. As part of um, Dave's um, uh, controls and uh, cabinet options, he had uh, he made provisions on the board for uh, Berg pins, 
uh, pins spaced a tenth of an inch apart that you could plug plugs onto so that each control had its own little plug. So instead of having this rat's nest of wiring all over the place with individual wires soldered onto the board, you just plugged these harnesses from each of the controls onto these little plugs. It made it a lot more convenient to, uh, to build and also to take out of the, uh, out of the uh, case. Uh, can someone repost the uh, whiteboard for uh, KB1QVO in the uh, chat, chat window? Anyway, um, the, the rig also had legs. It was a very simple super hat, uh, CW super hat. Um, did not have RIT, and others have, um, others have uh, come up with mods for RIT. At some point in the future, we'll probably give links um, for that. Um, and in addition, other folks were not satisfied with the one and a half to two watts that the, uh, the uh, SW base transceiver provided, and there were mods to uh, take it up to five watts or so. Um, they're not really the focus of this uh, uh, chat with the designer session, but um, we will mention them as we go along and provide links uh, in the future so that you can personalize them uh, as you wish. Um, it is not the circuit is simple enough that it's not easy to, to um, stretch it to um, 10 meters. Well, to uh, any of the bands above 20 meters, it would be difficult to do um, with this simple a design. So it never never went up there, and there was not enough demand for 160 meters. So um, to my knowledge, nobody ever built a 160 meter version. But for the sweet spot of most um, QRP homebrewing, it does a great job. Um, I had an 80-meter one, and I worked a whole bunch of stuff on field day, believe it or not, with uh, with two watts. So it can be done, and uh, this is a good good uh, platform to do it on. And as George pointed out, um, one of the goals of the Elmer series was to uh, teach people how to build things and let them learn a little bit about electronics. And uh, this is the ideal platform for that. Um, back to you, George. Oh, yeah. Ideal platforms. I think out of all of uh, Joe and I and a number of us here have been around for a long time in the QRP scene, um, some longer than others and some more successful than others as far as building projects and so on. But this, because of the Elmer 101 series and all the different people that were participating in the discussions, and many of these discussions made it into other magazines along the way too, uh, really notably was um, the, uh, the QRP Quarterly, published by QRP Archi, um, QRP ARCI, and various uh, other uh, references to it, I think all made, made, uh, made it easier for us as we were kind of coming up and bootstrapping and ourselves and learning how to build and, and get things working. Um, a super heterodyne design, um, of course, is a multi-stage mixing design uh, that is a little bit more complex than um, kind of many of the direct conversion designs that we have, that we, we have grown to uh, know and love in, in recent years. Uh, because of their simplicity, even more simplicity. But also the Super Heterodyne offers additional capabilities um, and performance that uh, that are not are not present or achievable in in the in the direct uh, conversion types. And I think we'll, we'll talk about some of those. And it makes it really fun. Another another really um, another really fun part of this project, the overall project, as we are resurrecting it here and chat with the designers, is that if you haven't noticed, this design is using all through-hole parts. <gasps> so it is quite amazing in today that, you know, we can have a quote-unquote new design come on back onto the scenes here and have it be all through-hole, which makes it a whole lot easier for many of us to assemble. Um, surface mount technology was not as prevalent or popular um, or achievable back in the uh, well, back in 1998, and um, Frank and, and correspondingly too, through-hole parts were a lot more prevalent back then than they are now. As uh, as Joe and I can attest to, as we are pulling together the various parts from different vendors, um, we're having to scramble a little bit in order to find some of these parts um, in reasonable prices um, today, such as they were available back when Dave designed the circuit back then. Nonetheless, it makes assembly easy for some of us um, here who don't have as great an eyesight as we used to, or the hands aren't quite as steady as they used to, and it's easier to probe and diagnose and debug, yet the darn little rig is just about as small as uh, as it needs to be, uh, as we'd like it to be. So that's another thing to look forward to, and um, um, I think there are many adaptations, many choices that you and others can have for uh, enclosing the project, you know, putting it in a case, labeling the case, and along the way we'll be discussing all different 
important uh, approaches like that um, that that you can custom use to customize your particular design. And that, I just reminded myself that there's another um, Joe. You're gonna have to help me remember this, but there's recently um, somebody showed us a circuit board using a different kind of um, a Muppet design. He has a, a proven design circuit board using this this uh, um, kind of a, another home brewing type of uh, uh, assembly technique, and uh, I wanted to get that information posted. Joe, do you remember what I'm speaking of? Yeah, it's um, kind of like a uh, <laughs> uh, those those of you know Manhattan style uh, building construction uh, techniques where you have a copper copper board and you you uh, attach little um, isolated pads inside of components between them. The um, Pittsburgh style, or as uh, uh, Chuck uh, Adams has uh, now started to call it the Muppet style, is a, um, it's a pre-etched pattern, but it doesn't have holes in the board. Uh, and you solder components between the pads that are etched on here, and um, the interconnections between all the pads are made um, etched on the, on the pattern. So it's just another way of building, kind of intermediate between um, haywire and uh, a real printed circuit board. Uh, some like that style. Um, others uh, prefer printed circuit board, but it, it's another way to go. Uh, different strokes for different folks. And to keep stroking away, we have, uh, I saw something else here on the page that reminded me of a, a point that I wanted to make. Then we are going to open it up for some uh, intermediate discussion here on the first part of the program. But uh, if I can find it now, and I can't scroll while speaking, otherwise my screen shrinks. One of the one of the benefits, I guess, of using the right control key. Okay, so here it is. Um, back um, closer to the top of the page. Two points, I guess. One is you'll see the classic, uh, you'll, you'll see a, a picture, a large picture, um, with uh, a circuit board in pretty much the center on top of the parts layout diagram, and which is sitting in turn on top of the Elmer 101 book. Um, so if you see that diagram, what I'm referring to, point number one, is that Elmer 101 book. There are numerous Elmer 101 collections, and uh, if you're going to be doing this along with us, and we'll, uh, we'll help guide you to them, but if you find some references, especially that one there, I personally would love to find that source of that book and see if we can get it reprinted or get some copies of it for us, um, and that would be great. Um, along that same line of thought, um, if anybody knows how to get their hands on either the, um, let's see, I do know who has the QRP book. So I think there is a, a PDF version of the QRPP issue, Autumn 1998. I don't know if it's been publicly uh, posted, you know, for public availability, or if we have to get uh, rights from NorCal um, QRP Club. Uh, but if anybody has any information on that, that would be great. I would love to make this available um, writ large to everybody here that's involved in this thing and uh, have a nice reference. I don't know about you, but when, whenever I get a piece of equipment, and I have a fair number here in the lab, it's a growing family, um, whenever I get a new project, a QRP project to build, I love to get all of the information together about that project, um, all the add-on types of uh, accessories and modifications that can be made, whether it's from, oh, I've got a rice box here that uh, I, I enjoy using, and um, I'm down to a whole bunch of different QRP projects, and I have a collection of all the supportive material, and I have it filed in a nice little categorized manner on my hard drive. Um, this QRPP issue would be a fabulous collection for you. Again, to use as a reference, a nice good read on a snowy winter night or a hot night down in Baltimore or whenever the, the urge might uh, strike you for kind of focusing in on, on your hobby. So if anybody has a reference to the QRPP magazine, the PDF version, I know it exists. I just don't know where it is or the rights for it. I'd love to share that with everybody. So at this point here, uh, Joe and I would like to open it up for a little bit of discussion about Elmer 101. I'm personally interested in knowing who um, who, who among us have been around um, previously enough to have remembered the 101 series, participated in it, and maybe even have built up the project that they can uh, help testify to its uh, its utility and, and its usefulness and the value and the benefit of uh, the SW30 or 40. Anybody? Uh, George just wanted to mention here quickly that the QRPP volume you're referring to is currently uh, available on the NorCal website.
website. They have uh, graciously put all their productions or their past issues uh, online with the help of several members or several former members uh, that actually went through the process of canning and reorganizing all of their volumes. Uh, that particular volume, though, and all of their volumes are currently available uh, for free downloading uh, on their website, so that may help with your quest uh, regarding that specific issue. Well, thank you, Carl. That's great news. I should have checked the obvious before I put out the APB, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad it is, and we will indeed see either about uh, re-hosting it or certainly just pointing people to it at least. And that that's great. I enjoyed that that particular issue a lot. I had one that kind of disappeared. I know where it went, but uh, I like having the hard copy here too. That's that's always useful on the bench as opposed to a darn PC. We don't need no stinking PCs, or at least we try not to use them all the time. Um, other comments and questions so far about Elmer 101 and the history and Dave Benson and what happened to SWL and all that stuff. All right. I really hope you had a chance to know Dave uh, Benson W or uh, K1SWL, formerly NN1G. NN1G. Um, gosh, I knew Dave before I knew Dave, uh, just from all of his publications and his, his designs in the handbook. And I studied them and and uh, memorized them and built the circuits. And son of a gun, if it didn't come time to ultimately meet him, I was in awe. He is an awesome. He still is around. He's just kind of retired. Um, and uh, he's an awesome person. He's an awesome designer and uh, a real good friend of uh, Joe's and mine here. So if you had a chance to know him and talk with him when he was active on the lists, that's great. We might even have him. He might try to get him to appear here for a guest uh, appearance um, during this series, and we'll see how it goes. Okay, Joe, why don't we get into the second half of the program? The, I, I normally call this the meat part of the program. We talk about uh, really good and interesting stuff uh, relative to the technology, the hardware, the hands-on, and such. So you started uh, broaching a bit into the, the look and feel of the SW30, um, and uh, um, why don't we start maybe getting into some of the specifications and, and discuss some of the capabilities of the of the little rig, and that'll lead us into a more gen, a general analyze this kind of uh, discussion that we've uh, popularized over many previous issues of, of Chat with the Designer. So we're going to analyze the SW30 in this episode here. So why don't you lead us into that, Joe? All right, fine, George. Yeah. Um, first, I do want to make a mention uh, about the Dave K1SWL. Now that he is retired, and uh, he is a builder in the um, strongest sense of the word. Um, once he retired and his wife retired, um, he built a house up in uh, New Hampshire. He literally uh, did all the blueprints, all the designs, and uh, he built the darn thing himself. So he really is a, a home brewer and a home builder in that sense. Um, now, rather than uh, doing kidding and all the rest of that stuff, he's got the time and um, the uh, the urge to actually do a lot more operating. Had a couple exchanges with him uh, uh, by email, and he's had some postings on uh, QRP-L uh, where he is actually going out and uh, operating portable, um, getting on the air, <laughs> enjoying himself for, for a change after all these years. Okay, the um, the radio itself is, uh, I'm not going to, there's a list under specifications on the whiteboard. I'm not going to just read everything, but it's it's basically a single board CW transceiver. It's um, just under three inches by four inches. Um, the board, if you get the PC board version, is masked and silk screened. It has a, um, a linear VFO on there, more or less linear, that covers a portion of uh, the band. Um, a 30 to 35 to 40 kilohertz uh, portion of the band does have a crystal filter in there, so it's very, very good for CW. And it has an optimized uh, transmit receive switch that is very good for uh, QSK for break in operation. Dave tweaked that to do a very, very good job. Only runs a couple watts, but that's, uh, that's fine for QRP. It's a very clean rig, clean receiver. And um, it has headphone-only output. Uh, if you want to drive a speaker with it, you'll have to uh, you have to uh, have an external amplifier. But it does very well at what it does. Um, some of the things Dave added uh, to the original design were he uh, first of all put a uh, reverse polarity diode in the power in the power line. Um, God knows it's easy enough to uh, switch plus and minus and zap a whole radio. Those darn solid state components just uh, let out the magic smoke very easily if you uh, if you 
if you reverse the polarity. So he put a diode in to save that. Um, it does have a couple toroids um, and some uh, some IF cans in there. They're simple to wind. He has a an outstandingly simple um, TR switch in there, um, which does a very good job of um, going uh, switching automatically between transmit and receive. Um, and he's optimized it for uh, um, strong signal operation. Many of us who have broadcast stations around have uh, a lot of uh, junk in our receivers from simple TR switches. Dave optimized that to, to get rid of that problem. And he also has a very good uh, transmit receive switch in the audio line that is click free, which does a good job of uh, transmitting back and forth. Um, excellent, uh, excellent design. You can read the list and see uh, see what's in there. But um, he's taken his basic design and used his own ideas and a number of ideas from others that he adapted to uh, to optimize the thing and make it uh, very very handy to uh, to operate with as well as to build and to uh, play with. Um, do we have any questions? I, I want to go into the block diagram a little bit and then uh, a little bit deeper than that. But uh, any questions about what the basic radio is or uh, does uh, from the gang? From a perspective of uh, just looking at the specs, Joe, um, and I pulled this from, I used the Wayback, uh, the Wayback machine on the Internet in order to grab some earlier information that is no longer, or not, not currently uh, available from Dave's website. And he had a, uh, he had a comment there, adjustable power, uh, let's see, what is it, uh, output power adjustable. 2.5 watts max adjustable power output that's kind of an interesting thing um it, it sounds unusual in today's vernacular can you i, I looked at the schematic and I, I see i know is why how he does it but i'm wondering if you know why he did it it was an unusual thing to put in perhaps in a qrp rig to begin with don't you think yeah it is kind of unusual uh, not many people do that well it makes it handier if you want to, if you want to really blast two two and a half watts out, you can do that. But um, if um, if you want to operate the thing, uh, many of the QRP contests have a um, um, QRPP, which is reduced power um, um, operating um, classification, where you drop your power below a watt. That's a simple turn of a, a potentiometer in the radio to knock it down there, so that um, you can crank the power down if you want to. Besides, it's in keeping with the FCC um, rules that state uh, you're supposed to use the minimum power necessary to maintain communication. Oh, there you go. I'll be interested in talking at some point uh, in this series, Joe, about linearity of, of, I guess it's really not such a linear device, or linear output stage. But as one varies the power level, are there other factors, whether it's... Uh, um, purity of signal or other factors that come about because of adjusting the, the power level. I don't, don't need to discuss it, but that's something I want to kind of put a bookmark on and, and come back to it later on. And a last, last comment from me anyways. Looking at the specifications, um, I see a three-crystal IF filter. Three-crystal IF filter. That also is a bit unique in, um, if one were to be considering some of the minimalistic uh, direct conversion receivers. I think you'll probably talk about this in the block diagram, but um, ultimately, is a crystal filter, the crystal IF filter, or is a, is a filter at the IF? Tell us about how the benefits are, what the benefits are for a crystal at the IF. Yes, um, good point. Excellent point. Excellent. Um, when you have direct conversion receivers, you can get selectivity at audio. But unfortunately, um, that is only at uh, audio. And uh, you can hear signals either side of your uh, operating frequency. The beauty of having a, um, a super heterodyne receiver with a narrow crystal filter is that you can get what's been called single signal reception. You only receive signals on one side of the, uh, the beat note. And uh, Dave has uh, uh, adapted a cone filter design, which is which uses some simple, uh, inexpensive crystals that are. Uh, they do have to be specially selected, and you have to. The designer has to tweak things to uh, get the things just right. But it's a filter that's about 800 hertz wide in, in Dave's designs, which is a good compromise between uh, getting rid of uh, interference from others on the band and not having something that's so sharp that it's very difficult to tune the receiver and get somebody in the crystal filter band. Um, very good filter. Um, excellent. Uh, and in something as simple as a radio like this, it is a great feature to have to, um, to make operating for long-term long, di long -term, uh, operating like in uh, contests 
it's much easier on the ear to be able to uh, narrow down to one side of the beat note and uh, not hear uh, a whole preponderance of uh, signals in the uh, in the pass band. Oh, amen on that. Um, and just as a side note, <laughs> relative to the crystal filter usage, we're going to be using. We are. We have started using. The project that we discussed in the last chat with the designers with Dave AD7JT and uh, his design of the of the SNA um, and, and the evolution of the network analyzing terminal, um, the um, scalar network analyzer that uh, that is out is going to be used to be sorting and finding the the filters that are uh, the crystals uh, parameters that are all very close to each other for optimum use in this uh, SW30 kit. And stated differently, we're we're using the SNA to find crystals that are closely um, like each other, and then we are grouping those together and including those in the kits. And in fact, Joe, that's that's going to be one of your activities, and I know that's a, a that's something that you uh, we're particularly looking forward to using the SNA for at least in its first. Uh, its first usage in your shack. Okay, Joe, um, unless there are other questions, why don't you continue on? Let's get into the block diagram a bit. Okay, yeah, yeah, the uh, the SNA is kind of cool for doing that. Makes makes a job of uh, sorting the crystals out uh, very easy um, so that the, the well, the user wouldn't want to do that because you need uh, a large number of crystals in order to get uh, enough that are matched in their characteristics to work properly. Okay, there is a block diagram. It's a simple block diagram. Um, RF comes in the antenna, goes through a, a bandpass filter. Um, there are actually a couple bandpass filters. This is a, a very simple block diagram. There's a um, uh, actually a low-pass filter in the transmitter output to uh, knock down harmonics. Um, in the transmitter signal. On the receive side, there's a bandpass filter, which um, uh, uses a couple um, IF cans, actually, that are tuned so that um, you, you can uh, only hear signals in the band of interest to uh, clean things up. It's a very simple design, but it's, it's good enough to do the, uh, do the trick. There's also a TR switch, which is not shown in the uh, block diagram here. But it's a uh, series tuned circuit that is connected to the uh, transmitter output, actually, goes to the receiver input um, that's resonant at the receive frequency, the, the band you're receiving, um, and passes signals when you're receiving. When you're transmitting, it has a clever, uh, clever trick to it. It has back-to-back -back diodes connected that um, limit the uh, RF going into the receive mixer so that you don't fry your receiver. Um, and he has stacked diodes in there to get good intermod performance so that local uh, local RF doesn't uh, give you a whole bunch of uh, nasty uh, noises that uh, could ruin your receiver. There's a single VFO, um, and this block diagram is from the 40-meter version. Uh, in the 30-meter version, it goes from 2.42 megahertz uh, up to um, about 2.45 megahertz, about a 30 kilohertz spread. That's fed to both the um, transmitter and the receiver chain. In the transmit side, there's an SA612 mixer, which has a, um, a crystal in there, which is at the, um, the IF frequency. But um, it's tuned 800 uh, kilohertz low, or I'm sorry, 800 hertz low, um, as compared to the IF, so that you transmit at um, the, the exact frequency you want. Um, that's mixed with the VFO, filtered and fed through a, uh, an amplifier to jack you up to a couple watts. The same VFO feeds a receiver uh, mixer, which is uh, uh, another SA612 handy uh, integrated circuit. Um, and the output of that, the intermediate frequency, the IF, is um, in this 40 meter version, it's 4 megahertz. In the uh, 30 meter version, it's uh, 7.68 megahertz. Um, that, that is 800 hertz wide and passes only the signals you want. It goes into another SA612, which is used as a product detector, which has another crystal, which is tuned um, offset to give you an 800, approximate 800 hertz um, CW signal. Um, produces an audio output from the uh, product detector, uh, which is then fed through a couple stages of uh, audio amplification from a uh, uh, op amp. And uh, there's a, a simple audio bandpass filter. It's not a sharply tuned bandpass filter, but it's uh, peaked at around 800 hertz so that the resulting output uh, is uh, pretty clean of any um, spurious products that might have come out of the product detector. Also not shown in this diagram, it is in the schematic, 
but um, when you're when you're um, transmitting, there's a switch in there that opens up the uh, audio chain from the uh, product detector to the audio amps, so that the the uh, transmitted signal that leaks through the receiver doesn't blast your eardrums out. Um, it uses a very simple. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember. It's an enhancement mode. No, it's a depletion mode. FET field effect transistor. Um, however, uh, there's a, a very high value resistor that allows a little bit of the signal to get through, um, which means you can hear your side tone. The um, the receive um, oscillator crystal is offset by 800 hertz from the transmitter signal. So when you're keying, you can hear your CW keying that gets through. And having this high value resistor leaks just enough of it through that it's a comfortable, um, comfortable headphone level. Clever design took a little bit of tweaking to get everything balanced and just right, but uh, does an excellent job. And so much for the theory of operation without getting too deep. Any any questions? Okay. The thing that characterizes uh, the different bands, by the way, um, that uh, this radio potentially covered in Dave's design are the bandpass filters. The, that uh, are at the antenna end, the low-pass filter and the transmitter, um, the VFO, variable frequency oscillator, and the uh, uh, crystals um, that are used in there. They are um, selected, they're chosen to operate at the, uh, at the, in the band of interest. And the VFO is uh, similarly tuned to different frequencies to uh, heterodyne with the uh, crystal filters and with the uh, crystal resonators to give you the uh, proper uh, output frequency. Another wrinkle that I forgot to mention in the VFO is it's a um, voltage-controlled oscillator. It is a free-running oscillator that uses a um, an LC circuit, but it uses a um, a variactor diode, a vari variable voltage variable capacitance diode to tune the VFO. It's pretty padded down by a, a bunch of fixed capacitance, so that um, it's uh, pretty stable. And limiting the tuning range to something on the range of uh, 30 to 35. 30 to 35 kilohertz allows you to use a very simple potentiometer for tuning and not have too fast a tuning rate to uh, to make the tuning sketchy. It also knocks the cost of uh, manufacture down, parts cost. Uh, those of you who tried to buy some decent um, uh, air variable capacitors these days, find out you're paying 10 bucks or more for a good voltage variable cap. Uh, I'm sorry, for a good air variable capacitor. Um, they're not made in large quantities these days, and the ones that are around are rather expensive. Whereas uh, using a, um, a voltage variable diode and a potentiometer knocks about $8 off the parts cost. So very good thing and another, another wrinkle that uh, Dave threw in that does a good job. Enough out of me. You know, Joe, it, it's, uh, yeah, well, first of all, I, I enjoyed listening to you go through the block diagram while I was viewing the schematic at the bottom of our page. And it is, uh, it, it is very clear. Your descriptions were very clear and, and uh, uh, interesting. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point. It's interesting to point out that a good designer, there are many things involved in making a, a good design. Uh, obviously, that performance specifications are met. Um, ease of construction, repeatability of construction, um, meaning that if you build a kit and I build a kit, that they are going to behave somewhat the same um, in a predictable manner, depending on, you know, which... Uh, how much tolerance my resistors and how much gain your transistors have compared to mine, um, and, and so on. Um, what you described or mentioned um, as far as using the voltage variable diode, uh, capacitor diode, is um, um, was an interesting, I'm not sure, well, I'm sure it was used before, uh, but I can't recall too many instances when, in, in back in those days, when a, uh, a very cap, um, such as the MV1662, which is no longer available or easily available at, at low cost. Um, but we have a sub substitution that's, that should be working. But I can't remember too many instances that were um, really based, uh, designs that were based on using a, um, a Vericap like that. So Dave, Dave, Dave kind of took some interesting new twists with his design here of the uh, SW30+. Uh, plus. Um, uh, does that make sense? Indeed it does, yeah. Yeah, he, um, 
I, I really hate when I see car ads that say, we don't compromise. That's BS. Every design is a compromise. What you try to do is um, tailor the compromises and use the best features you can to come up with something that works and uh, minimize the bad effects of the compromises. And Dave's use of the uh, Veracap here is an excellent uh, example of that. Yeah, one of the things that another thing that strikes me about Dave's designs or, you know, if I had to, if I just conjure up Dave's projects, I don't know, gosh, I'm looking around the shack here and I've got a number of them. The PSK XX series, I have every one of those, plus the derivative that we, that we uh, kind of popularized, the Warbler. Uh, Dave and I did that design. We were on the cover of uh, QST for, oh, I can't read it from here, but back in, uh, I think it was like 2001. But each of his designs looked good. It looked really good when put, you know, when the circuit board was laid out well, the components were all nicely balanced um, from an organization standpoint. Um, they were easy to access when inserting them, um, when trying to probe around them. He just was a meticulous designer that really took pride in the circuits, um, uh, the productization of his circuits. And that's that's one of the things I remember a lot about Dave. And I, frankly, I used him as my mental guide as I was doing various projects of my own. And us, you and I together, Joe, as far as laying out boards and and using some circuit components, so that's just it just comes to mind here. You made a you made a comment that I wanted to question about, um, and I wanted to know more about. It, it comes in the limiter on the uh, the TR switch. Back to back diodes were used. You mentioned, and um, back to back diodes were used. You said to improve IMD performance, intermodulation distortion performance. Can you explain a little bit more why and how? Two diodes back to back is better to use in this particular case, and why does it improve IMD? <laughs> okay, many of the TR switches that are similar to this use um, only two diodes that are back to back. Um, the reason for having back to back is that uh, one conducts on one half of the RF cycle, the other conducts on the other uh, half cycle. Um, there is not a lot of selectivity um, between the antenna and the TR switch. So, as I mentioned, in, in my case, I have a lot of AM broadcast uh, energy that uh, comes off my antennas into, the, uh, into my radios. Um, if you use uh, just two diodes, um, something on the order of six-tenths of a volt peak-to-peak -peak can uh, tickle both diodes and give you some uh, mixing products. Uh, mixing with the AM broadcast signal and whatever else happens to be there. Dave took the interesting step, very simple, but uh, he uses four diodes, two in series on each leg. And what that does is to double the voltage it takes to uh, to, to get some of the uh, intermodulation, the nasty uh, RF mixing. Um, simple as it is, that's enough that uh, unless you happen to be right next door to uh, an AM broadcast station, there's not going to be enough voltage there to tickle. I have two stations within, um, well, one station about a mile away, another about two miles away that just drive many projects crazy um, because there's so much RF. The simpler TR switches with only two diodes um, get uh, are affected by that. The energy gets in there, and, and it, it doesn't necessarily cause interference per se. What it does is it makes a, a background kind of um, murmur of noise in there. But having this, um, the four diodes instead of two, surprisingly enough, even in my worst case, does a good job of uh, producing a clean received signal without that uh, unwanted interference. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, before we break away from the uh, from this section here, the theory and walking through some of the, the component sections, we'll do more of this in uh, future episodes. Uh, but before we break away from it now and get on to kind of like the final items of the day, which is like what comes next and what about that darn kit? Um, I'm wondering if anybody has um, other questions about the kit, about the, the design in general, um, the circuit, the components, the size, the specifications, the usage, um, how, how does it perform as a rig on the bench, in the field, whatever. Um, is anybody curious about that at this point here? All righty then. So, um, Let's, uh, Joe, unless you have anything else that you wanted to cover from the technical aspect at this stage, uh, I was going to suggest we uh, we move on to the last parts that I mentioned. No, I don't have any more um, technical depth. We, as you say, we'll go into a little more depth in the future. I just wanted to hit the highlights tonight. All righty. Um, 
So um, what comes next? Uh, Joe, you and I were, were kind of talking about how many stages, um, how many series episodes to have to, to get this guy together here. And uh, I don't know if we take one or two stages per session, um, maybe starting with uh, starting with the basic unkidding, parts identification, lay it all out. Along the way, talk about some um, construction techniques or ways that you can assemble a kit in a sensible manner on the bench without losing your mind, losing small parts, or burning your fingers. I think that that's kind of like a sensible place to start. And that's what we were thinking about um, at the first um, in the next episode. I don't know what stage makes sense, Joe, but we'll have a chance to talk about it, you and I. Build it up in uh, stages, of course, and uh, also provide some tests that can be performed um, as, as, the, uh, as the design gets built up, whether it's inserting a, a tone, whether it is uh, just putting your finger on a component and hearing a buzz in the headphones or something. Uh, we'll figure out a way to that uh, builders can figure out if they put it together right and catch the problems early, the inevitable problems early. Along the way, too, we'll talk about Dave's particular um, construction technique. It's shown in a layout of the board that I mentioned was very uh, very attractive and balanced. And um, There are some tricks that you can do when, putting, when assembling a through-hole, port, um, through-hole design parts um, that, uh, that even translate forward to using SMD parts of today. So hopefully we'll get a chance to do that. We'll probably have an episode that involves, of course, winding those darn ter- uh, toroids. They're not as uh, hard as you might think, and there's not that many here, and it's kind of fun to do. Relaxing while you're watching CSI Miami or, or the Osbournes or whatever you whatever you might like to do. I know, Joe, you like to do, uh, what is it, Believe It or Not, or uh, um, what's that... Uh, uh, Mythbusters, Mythbusters. You love you love doing that one. So um, also at the end of the page, the web of the um, whiteboard here, we have a link to the manual. Uh, Dave is also very good in writing a concise yet thorough manual uh, that allowed you, the builder, to not only put it together but figure out what was what. A little bit of a theory of operation, which was also reprinted here on this web page, and uh, we've got it there for you. And all this material, everything that we have here, is is available on the internet. Just a matter finding it and um, um, crediting uh, the sources for it, of course, and, and Dave's given us permission to be using uh, using his documentation and such along the way. Um, so for um, the actual, let's see, for the actual um, kit, what we were saying is that this is a limited design, a limited production run, I meant to say, um, whereby we're not going to be offering it for the next 59 years and um, and actually, in deference to Dave and his particular design, we're not going to be, we're, 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 we're making sure that it's being leveraged to everybody's benefit that is participating here in, Gene, um, in the chat with the designers. And uh, we're going to be making you guys a priority for getting the kits as, as soon as you can. Um, we know who you are, of course, if you are have been checking into and participating live with uh, the TeamSpeak here uh, sessions on an episode-by-episode basis. We know who you are, for the most part, by the questions that you ask if you are podcasters. And we do have many people feeding back relative to their their enjoyment of and and the value they find in listening to the podcasts if the timing for it is not great for you in your particular location, be that uh, Japan or just a time-shifted operation right here in town. If you're not available in the evenings, you can easily catch up with the with the podcast. So we know who you are, and when the time comes shortly, we will ask you for your preferences if you wish to indeed uh, get a kit, and we'll, we'll indeed hold one for you. The ordering will be in the similar manner as we usually do. We'll have a portion of either this web page or someplace else that in which you can uh, place a PayPal order or send a check in by uh, snail mail. Um, standard uh, standard things there. Um, for discussion, Joe, you know, discussion of the project and such. Joe, do you want to talk about what our thoughts are as far as, you know, how we'll handle the ongoing discussion of the SW30 relative to the Elmer 101 series here on Chat with the Designers? Yeah, uh, well, we're going to try to... Uh try to keep it at a, a level that's understandable, go through things uh, slowly enough that uh, everybody can keep up. And um, as we're building, we're, uh, as George mentioned, we're going to try to have some construction hints and um, uh, make things easy to do. Um, basically, I think the way to do it is to build 
build the uh, project in sections uh, and provide means of, um, uh, as, as George mentioned, testing each of the sections so that you can be reasonably certain what you've built is actually working before you go on to uh, stuff more parts on the board and, and um, you know, just stuff everything on and turn it on and, oh my gosh, it doesn't work. Now where do I go? We're going to provide some um, some voltage readings uh, that you can make on the board and uh, oh, some some hints about uh, how to determine whether or not things are working. Touch this, touch that, uh, inject a signal that you might have, um, and and we'll we'll come up with some very very simple circuits. That's one of one of the things I like to do is to come up with some uh, very simple circuits. I do uh, some stuff in the QRP quarter. They call Joe's Quickies. I have a bunch of little circuits, little test circuits that are handy to use to uh, to check things out. Um, don't take a lot to build. You can throw them together. And I think we're going to come up with some of them and uh, show how to use them in evaluating whether or not your uh, your stuff's working as you go along. And uh, uh, tips on tweaking, how to tweak the thing. Uh, there will be a little adjustment of um, of the, the uh, uh, tunable oscillator to uh, to get the thing to get the tuning range you want. So we'll do a little bit of uh, uh, detail on that, trying to give folks the uh, tools they need to uh, to be sure what they've got is working, and uh, obviously to learn uh, learn how the thing works and what's going uh, what's going on as we as we go along. Um, George and I are reasonably experienced at doing this, but. Every time you come up with a new project, uh, you never know. There's some simple way you can do something wrong and uh, might not work. So uh, you'll get the benefit of uh, us building a couple of these up and uh, making them work to uh, perhaps uh, help you folks along the way as you're as you're building them. And then also what we're going to be doing this year is um, each year we tend to add a little bit more to our capabilities here on Jet with the designer and experiment a little bit either with video or webcasting or whatever. What we're going to be doing with the uh, SW, um, with the Elmer 101 and the SW30 um, project is um, recording video segments of either stage-by-stage -stage build up or Joe's or my discussion um, and description and uh, pointing out or testing or calibrating, whatever. We'll make these video segments available um, on YouTube. And of course, we'll link that um, embedded to our web pages such that you'll get a chance to see the actual uh, project building up, maybe in a manner that was not as prevalent or not as possible back in, you know, uh, 15 years ago, um, back when the project uh, first came about. So it'll be another, a, a new dimension that might be useful, might be fun, and it kind of augments the chat with the designer uh, the experience that everybody has. Well, I think that's about it then for tonight. We'll open it up one last time for questions uh, about this project or anything else. I noticed that uh, earlier this week or late last week, there were some questions uh, about a uh, temperature sensing Arduino project. It might have been a derivative of what we were uh, what we were working on last year or the year before. But even past projects or questions about chat with the designers in general or what you'd like to see in chat with the designers, we're all ears at this point here, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So does anybody have any questions now that they'd like to ask before we wrap it up for the evening? I have a comment. My audio is there. Hey, Ron, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, back in 2000, I built an SW40. And I have to say that during that era, there were a lot of kits, but they were experimental kits. This one, this one is a real radio. You turn it on and it works. You don't have to monkey with it. And I had many fine QSOs with it. So I'm looking forward to this. And this is Bill. Yeah, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. It looks like my audio is uh, is working. Can you hear me? Oh, loud and clear. Okay, great. You know, it just happens I picked up an SW30 that wasn't completely built about a month ago at the Hamfest here in Maine, and um, I'd do a little bit of troubleshooting on it. And the last step is to select the appropriate capacitance size for C7. So that's all I had to do, and it's you know it's, <laughs> it was built really well, and it, it just it was bizarre that they didn't finish it. But anyways. Um, when I first heard this was happening, I first heard it was going to be for the 40-meter version. I don't think there's any chance if I got this kit. I don't know how hard it would be for me to convert it to a 40-meter version. That probably is out of the question. But anyways, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Thanks. Hey, very fine on getting uh, 
getting an unbuilt kit that was so easy to, to complete and get working. That, that's very good. Um, anything is possible, as they say, um, either in software or even with electronics by selecting the right components. As it turns out, we have a nice um, alternative, uh, I don't know what the right way to say it, but we, we have a chart that shows the band-specific components for um, each of the bands possible. As Joe said, 80, 40, 20, 80, 40, 30, and 20. So um, we'll have those available. And I'm not sure exactly if you were asking how do you convert your 40 into a 30 or if you were to get a 30 converted into 40. But the components are listed. And uh, the um, we can point you to, we can have a reference to the actual parts on DigiKey and Mauser, which is primarily the source for our parts. And um, if you wish to build it for another band other than the 30, you can get this kit and then buy yourself a set of the, uh, the band-specific components for the band of interest and build it up there. For the most part, I'm pretty sure that the techniques are all going to be the same. The voltages will probably be the same. The frequencies and will, will be a little bit different, of course, uh, but um, that should be able to be done. So glad to have you participating in a project that way. This is... Uh, this is going to be fun because you'll have an opportunity to customize it for whatever you'd like, whether it's an enclosure we talked about, make your own enclosure, um, put it in a unique uh, unique kind of enclosure, making a, um, a small keyer, electronic keyer, adding an outboard or an extra audio amplifier for speaker operation, um, adding RIT, adding a frequency display. Oh, there's just so much that we can be doing on this, and that should be kind of fun, depending on how much we want to, you know, how far we want to extend the project. And then one of you might want to be taking it on your own and, and kind of adopting it and taking it forward after we uh, finish with it. That's the beauty of this, uh, of this approach. Other questions here before we close? Alrighty, nothing heard. So we're going to wrap it here for tonight. Um, um, because of various schedules that Joe and I have and other types of activities, uh, we wanted to be having chapter designers on the second Tuesday of every month. It may not be working out that way. Maybe we'll have it on the third Tuesday or the fourth Tuesday, such as we had a shift to this one. But just stay tuned. It's always going to be on a Tuesday evening, always at 8 p.m. local time Eastern. So um, if we can just remember that, and then we'll give a plenty, plenty of notice as far as like when the next episode is going to be. As I said, uh, as we have on the whiteboard, the next one targeted is May 19th, but we'll see if that... Uh, if that holds true, just stay loose. Um, I think the next episode is really going to be gauged or gated by the availability of the uh, the circuit board and the components, the kits. I would like to have everybody have the kit in their hands uh, such that it will make a lot more sense when we start going through the first, you know, the parts sorting and the first um, section buildups um, such that you can do that in advance perhaps and then really identify with us in the program. We would love to have... Um, a lot of participation and observations from individual builders as we run the program going forward. So, Joe, why don't you take us home, and uh, we'll say good night for tonight. Good night, Gracie. All right, very good. Uh, glad to uh, glad to be back on a semi-regular uh, basis here with chat with des chat with the designers. It's always fun. Uh, what we what we've done tonight was to introduce the uh, um, our take on the Elmer 101 project which is the construction of a um, simple CW transceiver. Um, simple in concept, simple in design, but um, well done. So that it's, uh, as uh, one of you gentlemen pointed out, it's not an experimenter's kit. It's something that really works. Um, we just gave an overview tonight of uh, what, what we intend to do, uh, trying to provide some educational resources and uh, information for folks who are interested in uh, in the radio and in homebrewing uh, uh, in general uh, gave a little bit of a description of what the uh, what the project uh, is what the radio is what it does and uh, how it works and um, along the way we're, we're going to be offering at uh, minimal cost uh, kits for those of you who want to build it up to uh, work along with us and uh, learn as we go and come up with something that uh, that uh, that actually works in the end. I love. Uh, I I don't have it anymore. I had a, a 40 and an 80 meter uh, job. The the 80 was was fine. I did a a great uh, great thing on field day. And the 20 meter one or the 40 meter one actually I was kind of in the middle of the country on a business trip and I was actually to work with two watts. I was able to work both coasts on 40 meter CW. So 
Uh, we're introducing you all to this project, and I think uh, I think you'll get a lot of fun out of uh, following along as we do our descriptions and uh, and go along with uh, building it. Even if you don't build it, you can learn vicariously from those who do. 73, and uh, we'll look for you next session. N2CX clear. Thank you all, and good night. This is N2APB.